Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Daniel from our show, from Progressive Bitcoiner, our master of art and also at PubKey, and Thomas, aka Mad Bitcoins from the World Crypto Network. Many of you will know the man, the myth, the legend that is Thomas over the past decade putting out really awesome Bitcoin content and the Bitcoin group, his YouTube show, and so many other things. So it was really awesome to get both of these guys on to talk about Bitcoin and what's just been happening uh, with Bitcoin over the past decade, their own individual stories, how to talk to people uh, from the left about Bitcoin, and so, so much more. Uh, this was such a fun conversation and really hope to do it again soon with these guys. So thank you so much, Daniel and Thomas, for coming on the show. And for those listening, thank you for being here, for listening. I want to mention, because I haven't mentioned this too much before, but it'd be a huge help if you're watching on YouTube, if you could subscribe to our channel, hit the like button, leave us a comment, interact with the pod. We would love that. And wherever you're listening to the pod, if you could give us a rating on that app, that would be uh, really great as well and help us share the podcast to more and more people that we really want to hear our episodes and this message that Bitcoin is for everyone. Yes, including if you're progressive or, or from the left, regardless of what Elizabeth Warren is saying about Bitcoin. So thank you all for being here. Really appreciate any support and helping us get the word out about our show. And in addition to that, if you have any feedback at all, you can always reach me at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. And be sure to check out our Substack as well. That is in the show notes, but you can check out our Substack at progressivebitcoiner.substack.com where you can get episodes of our podcast delivered right to your inbox every week, as well as a free uh, weekly newsletter there. All right, I will let you all get to the awesome conversation I had with Daniel and Thomas now, and we will see you again next week. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Great. It's nice to be finally on your show. Yeah, awesome. Um, for those that don't know, many might already know this and should already know this. Daniel is the brilliant mastermind behind our logo, our art, our branding, a lot of guest ideas, a lot of stuff going on behind the show. So I was excited to get him on. And Thomas Mad Bitcoins um, is a legend in his own right, uh, running the Bitcoin group, doing so many other things. And I'm sure many of you will know who have been around in Bitcoin for quite a while. But we've got a lot of folks that come onto the show that are a bit newer in Bitcoin, maybe progressive left-leaning, feel like they finally kind of, you know, find a show that uh, speaks to them a little bit. So why don't we do a little bit uh, of an intro, just say, you know, a little bit of like who you are, what you're up to these days. Uh, Thomas, we can start with you. Uh, sure. I'm Thomas Hunt. I uh, founded the World Crypto Network and Mad Bitcoins. Uh, back in 2013, there weren't really a lot of YouTubes or anyone talking about Bitcoin. It was mainly the Bitcoin channel and Let's Talk Bitcoin. And uh, they were very serious. You know, one was about stocks and the other was more about ideas, uh, but they were serious, heavy podcasts. And I thought we could do something fun and light and short and on YouTube. And so I made the Mad Bitcoin show for a couple of years there. I uh, made about 600 episodes over two years. And uh, then we started the World Crypto Network in 2014 with the idea of getting someone other than me to talk about cryptocurrency, because currently I'd reached my limit and talked to the people I could talk to. And uh, that was great. We had a lot of people come on and be guests and do their own shows and go on to better things. And uh, yeah, later on, I did some NFT stuff with Curio cards that happened before CryptoPunks. And I've just been in the Bitcoin space for about 10 years now. So it's been a while. Awesome. We're going we're gonna to dig into all of that. Uh, Daniel, I'll kick it over to you. 
Hi. So, yeah, I'm Daniel. Um, I have been in the Bitcoin space for quite a while. Um, actually, Thomas was one of the first people that I followed, um, and I credit him with a lot of the the early knowledge I gained um, after sort of having my orange pill moment. Um, and, you know, we can get into that a little bit more on the show. Uh, Trey, I've been following your work for a couple of years. I knew who you were before uh, I joined Noster, but it wasn't really until maybe six months in um, when you and I first connected um, and you told me that you were taking over the show, uh, which I'd already been a subscriber to, but I hadn't really um, had any uh, interactions with uh, the previous host, Mark. And then you um, asked me if I would um, be a creative advisor and I uh, came up with the logo and some of the branding ideas and helped you, you know, build some of the original um, content for the, the website and social media. And so um, it's been, you know, a really interesting experience over the past year as I left Twitter and uh, moved all my social media over to Noster uh, just to see the, the, the type of engagement um, that, that occurs there. And I realized like, in the 15 years I spent on Twitter, I maybe gained about 2,400 followers. And within a year on Noster, it was like three times that. So um, it, was, it was really an interesting phenomenon. And I, I've been kind of cultivating that uh, persona that I've developed on Noster. Uh, I spent the last year, you know, getting to know as many people as I could in this, uh, you know, part of the space. And um, used that recently to... Um, a, finally begin working in Bitcoin, which I had never really done before. I'd always kind of been on the on the sidelines working, you know, a more traditional fiat job. I come from the advertising, marketing, creative space, but I really wanted to pivot into a Bitcoin-only job. And uh, just at the end of last year, um, an opportunity came up to work at PubKey, uh, which is the Bitcoin dive bar located in uh, Greenwich Village in New York. Um, and so I started there at the beginning of this year, actually on January 3rd, uh, and, uh, have been, you know, since the last, uh, beginning of this month, been, uh, building up this brand and helping to, um, you know, create a meetup environment for, uh, sponsors and all sorts of, of different, um, people and companies in the Bitcoin space, uh, to really take this to the next level. So, uh, it's great to be here and, and, uh, looking forward to what we, we talked about today. Yeah, that that's awesome. And um I'll also say too, something that I love about Bitcoin, especially Noster, that I've kind of I feel like mentioned a few times. Um, you know, there's so much going on with Bitcoin thing, companies, this and that. But some of the people you meet, like it, it's kind of crazy, Daniel, to think like, okay, I think I like message you on that because you were posting some content about branding or about something. I, I liked something you had put out. And when I got into the show and met with Mark and decided to take over as host, I was like, okay, if I do take over, I want to elevate things a little bit. I want to put put more into it. And I was like, I can't do all of that. I've got some ideas and things like that, but I don't have these technical backgrounds, these art backgrounds. And you know, I don't, I don't want it to um, fizzle out. I want to bring some legitimacy to it. And I sent you a message about like a logo idea and just a thought. And it was like two hours. I, I forget how much time went by. It was so fast that you whipped around a logo. And I know everyone has different ideas about creative process and and thoughts. And Thomas, you've probably felt the same way just doing some of this, but I, sometimes it happens instantly. Uh, sometimes people go back and forth on logo ideas. And I'm sure Daniel, you can mention this from your professional career as well. But it was like a couple hours, you sent over a logo idea and the thought behind it. And I was like, honestly, no edits. Brilliant. Like, like it, it was fantastic. It was like, I sent you some sets. I was like, 
wow, you should be commissioned for this. And I was like unemployed at the time. And I'm like, here's some sets. Like, thank you. This, like, it means so much. Um, but it's just brilliant and, and carried on from there. And then you were like, let's do episode cards. Let's do this. So like folks, you know, that are, that are into Bitcoin and into Noster, the people that you'll find in this space that are just interested in doing cool stuff because we want to have fun. We're really interested in this space and doing more that we're passionate about. You'll find some of the most passionate people. And I couldn't be more happy for you, Daniel, too, to actually have this be like more a part of your life now at, at PubKey doing awesome stuff continuing to work on the show with me, all of it. So just, you know, kudos, kudos to you. It's been an incredible journey, journey for you watching all this unfold. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's funny. Some logos I've worked on, you know, I, I've spent weeks on sometimes like just go back and forth with the client or the idea isn't quite there, or it's just, it's too hard of a concept to, to get across. For some reason, this one, I, you know, it's not that I hadn't been thinking about it for a while, but I, did, I didn't have the idea for the brand mark, the logo, until the moment you and I talked. And so sometimes it's just, you know, you just get the, the, the spark of, of, you know, the best idea right at the beginning. Um, it doesn't always happen. You know, the creative process is something where, you know, you might just have to, you know, noodle on it for a while. But for some reason, this one, and I think it's just because, you know, you and I are really well aligned on a lot of the things, that, the values that we share. Yeah the topics we talk about and think about. And so um, it was very clear to me what the logo needed to be. And um, the idea just basically popped into my head. And, and, you know, I started playing around in Figma, came up with the shapes. And and once I started building that, I realized this actually has some deeper meaning. Um, and, and that's part of the process is like, you don't always know what it's going to be until, until you're done. You know, it's, it's like the, the story of like taking a piece of marble and, you know, sculpting it out and you know the, the original form was always there you just had to remove all the parts that you didn't need and it's like that sometimes with the creative process um and so yeah I, i'm really happy with the way it turned out and it really i think it elevates the brand into a place it needs to be um the original design i mean there was no real design for the logo up until that point on, on the old podcast and so i felt that it wasn't really able to reach an audience that um, would understand the, the thought process behind, um, you know, the podcast and the things that we talk about, unless it had something that really felt professional and uh, could communicate these concepts. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a great um, ride over the last uh, half a year or however long it's been since the podcast ran. We've had some amazing guests on and uh, it's, you know, I, I can see the how the future of this could unfold and really bring in a lot more people into the Bitcoin space who have not been paying attention or have been dismissing it because they feel that it doesn't align to their specific uh, political leanings or values. And I think it opens up a lot more room for conversation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, it's kind of a shame because I think many of us on the call probably in one way or another had to push through some early ideologies from people that might have, there might've been someone that was bigger in 2013 than 2019, 2020 in the Bitcoin space. But, you know, there's some folks that were huge in, in Bitcoin when I was coming through um, that I wouldn't align with on most of the value set. Right. So I had to like push through that because I saw something in Bitcoin and I was like, well, no, like F, F that like Bitcoin's for everyone. So I, I'll still use it. It's okay. You know, they can believe that or whatever. That's fine. That's not me. Some people, unfortunately, I think a lot of people won't do that due diligence. They'll just say, ah, that's not my people. That's not my thing, whatever, and turn off without even just listening. So my hope is that people would just be like, okay, stop. Just listen to us really quick or listen to some other podcast that aligns with your value or, or this show or whatever. Um, uh, that's my hope. 
Now, Thomas, I wanted to kick this over to you. Thinking about, you know, these type of things and getting into what you did, what was some of the motivation for you first starting everything that you've been working on? And was there a similar sense for you? I mean, I know Bitcoin was real. I mean, it's still niche, but even more niche uh, back then and different sets of challenges and unique personalities and all sorts of stuff that I've read about in the in their history books since I'm just a, a young spring chicken of early 2021 in my uh, Bitcoin journey. But what was it for you in terms of the motivation to, to start all this? Oh, well, I, I knew about Bitcoin when it came out in 2010. I read about it on Slashdot, uh, but I kind of dismissed it. I talked to my roommate who's a computer programmer and he wasn't into it. And I kind of thought everyone who got in under a dollar was going to be really rich and the rest of us were suckers. Mm-hmm. And then it went to $10, then it went to $30 and the same thought, the same like, we're a bunch of suckers. We should have gotten it at a dollar. And of course, I didn't buy any at $30. I, I didn't figure that part out till later. Um, in a, around 2013, uh, they had this incident in Cyprus where there was a bunch of foreign drug money allegedly in the banks. Mm. So the Cyprus government needed money. So they said, okay, banks, everybody who has over $100,000 in the bank, you get 10% haircut right off the top. And I knew that the Cyprus people didn't have Bitcoin ATMs. They didn't have Bitcoin meetups or Bitcoin YouTubes or anything like that. But I thought as like a thought experiment, what if the Cyprus people had this Bitcoin and they could have moved their money into there and not just the dirty drug money, but also people that are trying to buy a house, people that just got their bonus or something. They have a large amount in their account for some reason. They're going to take this unnecessary haircut and to say nothing of what the banks have also done to people throughout history. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just thought at that time that Bitcoin had really become mature. I looked around. There was uh, when I looked originally, there was no real way to use it. Now there was Coinbase and BitPay. And you could accept it, you could buy it, you could pay for services. It was a much more mature market. So uh, I wanted to do a show that was light and fun and maybe a little silly. And there was nothing like that. So I just started cranking them out. And I just had this idea. I'd I'd seen other people on the uh, YouTubes like uh, Zay Frank or the fucking news. And uh, they just, you know, no one said to them, you have the right to do this. Or you are, you know, now the the one that could do this. They just kind of took it on themselves. So in that same way, I was like, well, if I do you know, a lot of shows, if I really, and each show, I try to do a a better show than the last show, uh, Mm -hmm. that the internet will respect me and that they'll look at these, even though I have a silly hat and goggles and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I'm so motivated by that, because I I feel the same way, like every show that we do, you know, I I painstakingly try to listen to a lot of them, listen to myself, do all those things that at first was like, God, do I really need to do this? And people have different philosophies on that, trying to do the same thing of like, make each show better than before, because you're just, I don't know. I guess for me, it's a bit of self-motivation. Like I'm not, you know, there's, there's so many other crypto shows or different Bitcoin shows. Like we're for like progressive Bitcoiners is still a very niche group right now. So I'm not, I'm clearly not getting rich off of this. I'm not, you know, the sponsors aren't like rolling in all the time, all of this. So it's this self-motivation thing because you believe in that mission and you're like, well, I feel really good about what I'm putting out and I really enjoy it too. And I get that sense from you too, Thomas, is that you really enjoy it. And then it's just this consistency thing for you. And for me, it's this just watching your show is just this nerdy, fun hangout thing that is so uh, motivating and cool. I just think it's the funnest thing because that's something else about Bitcoin and all of this is that there's so many serious things happening in the world. And some of the topics you talk about in your show are kind of serious, but injecting that humor into it, injecting whatever your guest personalities are on the show is something that I um, really clung to and that Daniel got me more into as well, just kind of like mentioning you and kind of mentioning your your history and that stuff so i started digging in more and 
there's a lot of things that you're doing that I'm also motivated to do. Like Danny and I have been talking about doing more live shows and things like that, that will, that'll be out by the time this one's out. Um, but doing more of that, because I think you're a motivation for a lot of people in this space that want to find some, I don't know if purity is the right word, like in what you're trying to put out, just that consistency being here, following Bitcoin as it goes through its journey for, for years and years and years. Like that's, that's really cool, man. Like not a lot of people are here. There's people that have dropped off the podcast since I've been doing it in terms of like starting something and then six months go by and they fall off. And so for me, my motivation is like, I want to be here, you know, regardless of where things are at, I want to consistently put out stuff and, and be here and, and, and enjoy it while I'm doing it. And it seems like that's what you have. Well, I definitely learned from the early internet people that led the way people like Corey Doctorow on Boing Boing or Zay Frank on YouTube, who later went on to pretty much run BuzzFeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that they did is that they were always honest with the audience. If you don't know something, say you don't know it. If you made a mistake, yeah. say you made a mistake, like this impossible invincibility thing you're never going to get through. And uh, just in that way, just having that basic, like, I'm going to come back five days a week and make these shows if people watch them or not if there's negative comments or not. And then when it comes to a show like the Bitcoin group, it's a pattern after the McLaughlin group, which is a huge PBS show that went on for about 35 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't think John McLaughlin ever missed a date. And uh, I don't, it never really rose. It wasn't the biggest show. It didn't get picked up on CNN, but it influenced the culture with the people yelling at each other and putting their opinions out there. And I thought we needed something like that for Bitcoin. And again, no one gave me permission to do it. I don't have a big company or money or ads or sponsors or anything. I was just like, if I can get, you know, the people that I knew, and at the time I knew some people that were big into Bitcoin, like Andreas was hanging out in the first couple episodes and Adam Levine and mm -hmm. a bunch of other guys, Davi and Derek and all these crew. And if we can just get them together, talk about this and everyone bring their, their sides in because obviously I'm a little liberal, but I allow all the libertarians to come in and bring their points and their opinions and I don't talk over them. And if I disagree, you know, I, I talk after and I give my opinion. And uh, I thought that would be a good thing for Bitcoin. And uh, like you said, with the progressive thing, I'm probably losing cred by being on this show. A lot of early Bitcoiners were libertarians. They were cypherpunks. And uh, they kind of just assume if you're into Bitcoin, that you must also be a libertarian cypherpunk. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the things where as I was on the air more and more, and especially during COVID times and other times when you're stuck at home forever, you know, eventually you start weighing in on politics, especially when things are happening with, you know, certain presidents and things. And, and you piss people off, not because of your opinions, but because they had a belief that your opinions were just like theirs. Mm -hmm. And when you come through and you're like, my opinions are actually different. I've read different books. I have different opinions and so forth. And they kind of get upset. Uh, so because there was a really a solidarity in the early Bitcoiners, they were all libertarians or they were all cypherpunks. And uh, that's one of the things I hope to change with Mad Bitcoins and World Crypto Network is having more normal people, more average people. You don't have to be an extreme libertarian. You could be mm -hmm. a middle of the road, former finance guy, you know, and we'd talk to you and we try to get his knowledge and so on and so forth. So it's just been great to work with all these people and try to spread the word about Bitcoin. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I definitely, oh, going back to the PBS point, that's what it, for normal, for normal people who are outside of Bitcoin, it's like, yeah, it's just like PBS show. Like it's, it's just so, so cool. The, the, the feel of it. Uh, the authenticity. And I, I could definitely uh, get a sense of that too, of just having guests on without that, because there is that, that Benton Bitcoin, even historically, like, especially the cypherpunk stuff. I think, you know, we can get into this a little bit more, but I think kind of the COVID craze sent things a little bit further in, into some different factions. And I think that's more of a, 
society trend and online trend and different things, you know, even in addition to, to Bitcoin. But yeah, I mean, what's interesting, I think with the whole progressive Bitcoiner thing, I think once people initially, I got a lot more hate, like initially when I started writing articles, when I started just speaking up, there was a lot of hate initially. Then once people saw that I wasn't really going away for like a year or two, then it kind of died down. They're like, all right, trades a Bitcoiner. Well, will lay off. Right. And I don't think anybody should go through that. Even if it was the other way around, if it was more liberals or people on the left and there were conservatives trying to come in, I try to emphasize it's not about that specific view. It's about if Bitcoin is this global monetary network, all of these things, let's have it feel a little more that way. I'm not saying that, you know, you person over here should not have your show or your voice, but there should be others. There should be more, you know, women doing podcasts and Bitcoin. There should be all of these things. So the more people doing that, and seeing that, if you can push through some of that stuff a little bit, you know, don't be afraid to get your uh, opinions out there, your your personal values and beliefs. You show other people, oh, okay, like, you know, Bitcoin has nothing to do with that. Like, I'm not trying to politicize Bitcoin. I used to get at that a lot as well. I'm just saying this is who I am and I'm into Bitcoin. And it, and it sounds like that started to be your, your approach as well. Um, Thomas, re- real quick too on that point. Did you feel like you started off that way or did you feel like you got more comfortable over time trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to not interject, but some issues are going to come up or some things in the news and this and that. And I'm going to start saying some of my more liberal or mainstream opinions uh, on the show. Well, one of the great things about the Mad Bitcoin show is that I would write like a script. So I would write Mm -hmm. out a script and I'd read it out loud and I'd rewrite it and I'd read it out loud and I'd rewrite it. And one of the things I quickly learned is anything I put in that script, that crazy mad Bitcoins character would read aloud. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I could put a whole aside if I want to talk about the Federal Reserve, or I could put a whole thing about Greek tragedy or drama in there. And there was really kind of nowhere that I couldn't go with this character because I assumed everyone thought I was an idiot. And so they Mm -hmm. all think I'm an idiot. So now I'm free to say anything I want, anything, because, you know, it's that moron with the glasses. I also thought that was kind of a protection against financial advice. Uh, I'm not a stock market guy. I don't have any magical opinions. And I didn't want to be taken you know, credit or blame for people's portfolios because I didn't know how this thing is going to work out. I had my theories, right? But if people put their money in and they lose their money, you know, I didn't want to take the fall for that. So, But it is interesting when they say, how can you be a progressive in Bitcoin? How can you be liberal or these things? And I think of it more about Bitcoin's inevitability. That Bitcoin is this better form of money. It's software money. And I previously was, you know, a small minor underground part in like the software revolutions where the MP3 came out and like changed our world. Napster, BitTorrent came out, Mm -hmm. changed our world. Video streaming, all these kind of things where suddenly we had access to the movies, to the media. We could edit them. We could make new movies. We could do all kinds of things. And the same way when I see Bitcoin, I see it as inevitable. So I think if you're a progressive And you look at Bitcoin, you're like, well, what if we have a tornado? We're not going to be able to print money for disaster relief. We're going to have to really collect that money. Bruce Springsteen's going to have to go out there five nights a week, whatever it is, get that money because you can't print it anymore. I think this more of a thought exercise that one has to adapt to rather than as a reactionary where it's like, how can we shut down Bitcoin? How can we put it back in its box or seeing only the negative sides? Like it's only for drug money or it's only for criminals or that kind of thing. And I thought with having a you know general mad Bitcoins character and then maybe more liberal on the world crypto network, but you know as it keeps going, and then of course, you know I have 
I don't know how much into politics you want to get because it's so horrible. Uh, but obviously, we've had an attempted coup in this country, uh, which I predicted on my show hundreds of days before the attempted coup, uh, mm-hmm. because it just seemed like the man had no other options. And even now, in the way that he's running for, like, destroy the country or elect me type thing, mm-hmm. uh, there's just not a lot of uh, room for people or anything else in there. Uh, but that's a much bigger issue. This episode of the Progressive Bitcoiner is brought to you by Zeus. Zeus is a self-custodial Bitcoin wallet for Android and iOS. The app features a built-in Lightning node that allows you to take full control of how you make payments on-chain and on Lightning. You can easily onboard to the Lightning network and let Zeus's Lightning service provider, Olympus, do all the heavy lifting for you. Or you can get more hands-on and curate your own Lightning channels with whoever you transact with most. Zeus has best-in-class privacy and allows you to have great peace of mind when sending and receiving Lightning payments. Not only does the Zeus team not want to know how you're using your money, but they're building things in a way that they can't know. There's also a first-of-its-kind Lightning address that will allow you to receive payments 24-7 to your mobile wallet self-custodially. This is a great solution for a range of people, for those who just want to have the technical ability to set up their own infrastructure, to nomads and dissidents that need to accept donations on the move. Other Lightning wallets don't give the users this level of control. In fact, many of them operate more like bank accounts that can be revoked and ultimately lead to you losing your money. With Zeus, you're in full control of your private keys and therefore can start to take full control of your financial destiny. To learn more and to learn where to download, head to ZeusLN.com. You know, when, when people have said, how can you be progressive and be in Bitcoin? You can make the case, like, how can you be a Republican and be into Bitcoin? How can you be a conservative and be into Bitcoin? How, you know, uh, sure. I mean, can't say, how can you be a cypherpunk and a Bitcoin? Okay. No, yes, cypherpunks are in Bitcoin, obviously. Uh, but there's so many articulations where the whole point for me with Bitcoin what was for me, it was kind of the actualization of Occupy, right? It's like, we're not relying on banks to do this. We're not asking for permission. We're not li- relying on governments to do good because oftentimes they don't under both political parties. And many times progressives should be incentivized, I would think. And I use this case all the time. If Donald Trump is in office and wielding un, un like relenting power and willing to shut down bank access to Planned Parenthood and to other things like that, that's a pretty compelling case for Bitcoin. That's a pretty compelling progressive case for Bitcoin. You can make compelling conservative cases for Bitcoin. Like I completely agree with you that I think Bitcoin is inevitable. I think there are many things that will help adoption and help these things. But to say, oh, so-and-so can't be into Bitcoin because of some value set is very, very short-sighted. And usually is just what I hear on Twitter echo chambers, honestly. In the real world, when you sit down with someone and you do what we're doing, um, you can have some pretty good conversation about it. Daniel, I want to kick over to you in terms of thinking through these things. It's really funny, like chronologically, I think you're right in the middle of Thomas and I in terms of our timeline in like Bitcoin. So coming into Bitcoin for you, was there any sense of, you know, I guess what was part of your motivation for getting into Bitcoin, seeing it? I think most people are probably, you're eyeing it, you're seeing what's happening. Um, did you feel any of that cultural component? Did you feel that political edge, any of that, um, early on in your time when you were coming into to Bitcoin and thinking through these things? I think it's hard to not feel that way. And, um, that everyone kind of takes the journey themselves and, and has to sort of reflect on their own reasons why they felt that Bitcoin was something that, that really appealed to them. Um, and I was not someone who had any experience in trading um, I didn't know what Bitcoin was for the longest time, and, and it took a while for me to really grasp it and understand its utility. 
Um, but I also lived in New York during the time of the Occupy Wall Street movement and the years prior when um, there was a lot of financial calamity. And I saw what happened to people and to their lives and how people had lost everything, their homes, their jobs, so their futures were really just um, put into peril and, and, and in many cases uh, were never able to recover from that. Uh, and so to see that happen and then to see no repercussions for the people who caused those, those problems, um, it was really kind of an eye opener. And at the time I'd been working in marketing um, and I worked for a, a, an ad agency and one of our clients was a large bank in America that was possibly involved in some of the things that went on during that time. And it was just too much for me to, to handle. I couldn't really live with myself having a job like that, um, creating ads for products that were hurting people, that yeah. were causing people to over leverage their homes or to take out massive loans against their, their futures to go to college. It just didn't make any sense. And so I had to leave that. And and find something else to do. And you know, I found you know for several years I was you know semi-employed. I had freelance work, and I, I was kind of looking for ways to 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 um, kind of rebuild my career. Um, found myself in a in a tech company um, doing creative work, UX design and, and advertising. Uh, we had a little trading group in our office, and uh, again, I had no experience with trading, so it's like, where do you even begin? And so we all started thinking about like. Well, we should probably get some penny stocks and and you know see what happens there. And it just happened to be like you know it was probably around the time that you know Thomas started started uh, getting into Bitcoin. I was like, well, I see that um, the marijuana industry is heating up because the, you know we're about to legalize uh, weed in in Colorado and Washington State. So I started looking at at like penny stocks in, in that industry and just bought a couple um, and you know got a few of my coworkers uh, to to buy a few. And we kind of just let it ride for a while. And during that time, like I started to hear about Bitcoin. I heard about what happened in Cyprus. I heard about WikiLeaks and how they'd been using it to get around the financial controls uh, the credit card companies had put on them. Uh, Silk Road was big that year too. Um, this mm -hmm. is 2013. And so the word Bitcoin kept cropping up in my feeds. But again, I still didn't know what it was, how it was used. It just, if, you know... Everyone always has that reaction. Oh, it's money for nerds. But like, I didn't know how to use it. I didn't even know where to get it, what, what, how it worked. I thought you had to have a mining machine to even acquire it. So I kind of just dismissed it for a while. And then it wasn't until late in the year that I just happened to look at a Bitcoin chart and I saw what just blew my mind, right? A lot of people look at that moment, you know, it's like, I thought this thing was 10 bucks and suddenly it's a thousand. Like, where did that even come from? And then it got me thinking, I started, you know, going back and, and looking for content. I was looking for anything I could find. And the first thing I, I sort of stumbled on was Andreas Antonopoulos giving a talk in 2013 about Bitcoin in, in Athens uh, at the Disrupt Conference. Mm -hmm. And in that 20 minutes, he broke it down in a way that no one had ever done before. It really made me understand what Bitcoin's utility and power was. And this was not a political conversation. There was nothing in there about libertarian economics or about, you know, carnivorism, <laughs> any of the things that kind mm -hmm. of have crept into Bitcoin over the last decade. It was just about freedom. It was about being able to, to use a form of money that's outside of the control of the banking system. And to me, that was extremely appealing. 
And then on top of that, it was a technology product. It was something that could be built on top of. So it made me think about all the things that were the reasons I got started in the internet in the first place. You know, I, I was around during the BBS era in the late 80s and early 90s. I first discovered a web browser and I'm like, realizing I can communicate with people in different countries in real time. And this was like so interesting to me, but the technology hadn't developed enough yet. There wasn't streaming video. There was no Amazon. There was no Google. It was hard to find things like browsers barely worked. I taught myself HTML in a weekend and started building my own websites. And I was maybe the first person in my, my college class that ever built a website. And so this was kind of like the same thing for me. I was like, well, Bitcoin is still, you know, very young in its, in its evolution. It had only been around for a few years. Um, so I started just looking for any content I could find. And that's part of the reason why I discovered Mad Bitcoins, because it was truly entertaining. Um, it was a show that really, you know, got me thinking and opened up my mind in a way that other stuff I had seen really didn't. You know, reading Hayek is very dry, right? Like, I, you know, you've people sort of think you have to have a certain ideology to, to understand Bitcoin and what its potential is. But um, really, you know, I think it, this shows, and especially in those early days, like anyone could get involved. It didn't take a lot of effort. You know, at the time, you could just create a wallet. And, you know, most people went to Coinbase or some people were unfortunate and <laughs> got onto Mt. Gox. But, you know, you could acquire, you know, um, Bitcoin, at, at, you know, fairly easily. It might take a few days to get approved on one of these exchanges, but it wasn't that hard to get. It wasn't that hard to use. And this is, you know, way before the Lightning Network. People were just making on-chain transactions. And, you know, I'm learning how to do self-custody, using paper wallets, like all the original kind of ideas that that got me excited about Bitcoin were the, were the, the technology and the ease of use. And then it, it became, you know, something like, you know, I, I was the one that everyone came to with questions. I started talking about it probably too much endlessly at work. And then, um, you know, a few people, I think, got interested in it as well. And a lot of people kind of ignored it. And the ones who um, who paid attention early on were, are the ones who, who you know, are, are appreciative today that I, I told them what it was and, and helped them kind of learn how to get started. And I, I realized that education is such an important aspect of this. Like, I wish someone had been there to kind of teach me this stuff. I had to learn it on my own. Um, but I was relying on the little bit of content that there was online to really help me and guide me through that process. And it's what I think gave me the conviction to continue, uh, even while markets were crashing, even while there was, you know, the block size war and all sorts of, um, you know, very difficult moments when Bitcoin could have been co-opted, could have been, um, you know, potentially taken down. And to see that it had that resilience, the ability to always come back again and again, uh, and build stronger. And it takes a few years and it takes on the, it takes the ability to understand that these things don't happen overnight. Like people sometimes get into Bitcoin and then they get into crypto because they want to get rich quick scheme. They think they're just going to make a lot of money. And they realize, I think, often that that's not what this is all about. Some people do um, get lucky and strike it rich. But for most people, it's a journey. It's something that takes a lot of time and effort to understand and to have the, you know, have someone have really good content out there to teach people uh, what they could, you know, do to avoid um, all of the pitfalls is, is incredibly important. So, um, you know, for me, like I started my journey as, as a learner and became an educator and try to teach people um, ways that they can use Bitcoin uh, that, that are not just about 
um, making money. It's really about making the technology work for you and in whatever aspect of that uh, technology is, is most appealing. Um, and it, it's completely um, independent from the politics for me. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I, I'm curious for both of you, because I think a lot of in your your stories and, and things that you've been working on is about pushing forward Bitcoin adoption. So I am I'm curious what your thoughts are. This is a quote that um, Eric, who, who we just released the, the, the pod this week of that, this week is the time of recording, focusing on um, eCash and, and eNets. But one of his, the things that he said is, uh, you know, his view as like a designer and UX designer in Bitcoin is like, uh, you know, Bitcoin, like basically Bitcoin works best if more people use it. Um, so I'm curious, both of your thoughts on that. Like, how would you react or internalize that thought that, you know, Bitcoin works best if more people use it? And, you know, does that come with trade-offs for you? Like, how do you, how do you think through that? Um, Thomas, I'll kick that over to you. Well, it's, it's been pretty difficult trying to convince people to use Bitcoin. So I think it's going to take a lot like price swings or market swings or easy to use web pages, all of those things uh, that we always talk about. But I think, again, that it's just kind of inevitable that much like the MP3 just destroyed the music industry and streaming video changed the movie industry. I think that the Bitcoin will change the finance industry. So like like uh, Dan was saying, uh, Andreas used to talk about banking the unbanked and people mm -hmm. in developing countries and People that might not even have you know great technology and didn't go through like the cycle like we did. They didn't have phone lines and then internet lines and then desktop computers and laptops. They skipped right ahead to tablets and cell phones, mm -hmm. but they could use this new money. And uh, just like I was saying with the MP3, the MP3 just unlocked so much technology and gave you this music that you know wasn't from the music industry. Maybe it was their stuff, but someone had repackaged it in the same way. Bitcoin and now whether we like it or not, DeFi and all these other things are bringing all these things from the finance industry to us now directly with Bitcoin. And again, the more people hear about it, the more they hear what it can do, uh, both as a savings instrument or as something that you can send over the internet to your friend or to your family. I think more and more people just naturally get into Bitcoin. Yeah. Daniel, what, are, what about you when you think about Bitcoin and you know more people using it? Yeah, Bitcoin works best if more people use it. Um, what do you think about that? And does that phrase carry any pushback for your thoughts? And and my point being, obviously, some of the ways to use Bitcoin can be very centralized, can be very, someone can use it by buying an ETF. And that for them is is some sort of Bitcoin exposure. How do you view all of these things and the development of Bitcoin over the years? The promise of Bitcoin has always been that it's permissionless, that you can use it any way you want. And so we see a lot of different ways it's used and often, you know, you can even call it abused. And, um, you know, someone messaged me this morning and asked me, is someone who, who is a recent, um, uh, I guess, adopter of Bitcoin, um, who's like, what the hell is Bitcoin cash? And like, I'm uh, thinking to myself, well, so, wow, this is going to be quite a, a journey for you right about to me. understand that. So, you know, but I, 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 you know, quickly wrote back and I said, well, I know what your next book's going to be. You should probably read the, the, block, the block size war. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think when you come into this landscape and, you know, all you see is an exchange with like all these logos on it, like, what's this, this cool coin does this and this does that. And, you know, people sort of look at Bitcoin as just like part of this crypto world and it's all like a casino to them. 
And it takes time to really understand like what Bitcoin is and why it's different and why it's, it's uh, an independent um, entity from any of these other things that, that exist um, that have been, either come along after it to try to capitalize on its, its popularity or to improve it in some way. And there's lots of people who have ideas who show up to Bitcoin and suddenly they're building their own coin because they think it's, it's the next Bitcoin. So there, there's that. There's that sort of difficult process to get get over. Um, and then I think in general, just people around the world, like most people are not like super politically attuned and they don't have like strong views on mm-hmm. on every topic, especially like, you know, extremist left or extremist right. Like, I don't think most people fall into that category. I think most people, you know, they just want to, you know, have a good life and they want to take care of their families and their friends and um, they just don't want to be oppressed. I think that's like, you know, pretty universal and that, that can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But I don't think most people generally have read, you know, tons and tons of history books and have, have a deep understanding of a specific ideology. So for them, you know, Bitcoin is a useful tool. It's something that they can learn how to use and learn how to protect and, and can help guard them against all different types of financial calamities. And you can um, you can use inflation, you can use, you know, uh, capital controls in, in, um, authoritarian governments. There's lots of different things you can, you can think about like in the United States that we have, um, this policy where, where the police can just steal your cash if they pull you over on, on the side of the road. Um, you know, civil forfeiture like that. There are all sorts of ways that you can use Bitcoin. Um, and they're not all politically the same. And so I think that, for every person, they have their own reasons um, why it's useful to them. And we should welcome that and we should encourage its use. And I think eCash is really interesting. Um, I've just been learning about that over the past couple of years um, and starting to use it now that it's, you know, the tools are getting easier. I, I didn't have any idea what it was, you know, four or five years ago. And now I'm actually able to, to use it. And so to see these things progress in such a quick fashion and, and to be able to build things on top of that and see, and talk to the developers and learn how they are, are sort of thinking about this stuff and how it could potentially be useful down the road. Um, I think that's just fascinating. And so I welcome that, um, that more people are coming in and learning how to use it. Maybe at some point, not everyone will know they're using Bitcoin. You know, if Bitcoin yeah. succeeds, it will probably be the underpinnings of a, a, a financial um, you know, set of products that people use that may still look like money they have today. It may still look like their local currencies, but Bitcoin can be the 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 rails on which the the um, the money moves more efficiently. Like I've I've been trying to transfer like money from my old four hundred one k into a, an IRA, and it's taken a month. Like mm-hmm. it shouldn't take a month to move to like get a check written and and deposit it. But it's it's you know beginning of this month, I I submitted that order and it still hasn't completed yet, and so. Yeah. You know, there's something wrong with the system that we have now. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for the for the the time that we're in. Maybe it worked 25 years ago, but there's been so little innovation in financial markets because they don't see the need because they're very happy with the systems running the way they do. And you you've got like software that's written you know 30, 40 years ago that hasn't been updated. That's still the basis of what banks are built on. And it just drives me crazy to think that we have this incredible financial tool that can be used by anyone in the world. And yet people are still resisting using it because they, they have these, these sort of preconceived notions about what it all is. 
And so, you know, I want to be able to, to change that in some way that I can. Yeah. I, while you were talking about that, I thought of like one thing that, I mean, there's a lot of things already this year and it's just at the time of this recording, still end of January, almost February is, you know, uh, something like Bitwise, one of these ETF issuers donating 10% of their gross profits, whatever form of profits um, to like different Bitcoin developers and open sats and human rights foundation. I did not have that on my bingo card. Like it, and it, I have this visual of like people like Matt Odell walking into a room full of suits and they're like, here's your money. Like that's so, it's funny, but it's great. Like that is what you were saying. Like it, it, in large ways, it is here. A lot of these wall street types, but Bitcoin at its core is still, still cypherpunks. We're still like, ah, it's still fuck you money. Like, you know, we're, we're still here and that hasn't compromised, um, in terms of Bitcoin, like people and companies can compromise all these things, but in terms of Bitcoin. So just the fact that like Bitwise is donating some of their, one of these ATF issuers, um, their, their profits to Bitcoin core development basically, and Bitcoin only companies through things like OpenSats is brilliant. It's the Trojan horse that we've all been thinking about. And I think the tale of this year and the tale of next year, and one of the earliest visualizations I had in 2021 was many people were posting it, but Alex Gladstein, that picture of the Trojan horse, right? Like no matter what, Bitcoin will be the Trojan horse for any group or greed or governments that they're into Bitcoin, but it's also going to liberate their people for Wall Street. Well, it's also going to bring better products that are better owned and managed by people that will give you know, a, a couple in retirement, more money for their family, like whatever way it is the ultimate Trojan horse. And I think for me, that was probably one of the bigger things personally, because worldwide I was like, okay, human rights, I can see this. I'm motivated by these things. But personally, I was like, Bitcoin is going to always be a Trojan horse for something. And we don't know the future. I can't, I, Thomas, I'm, I'm close to your camp. I, I have some qualms about the inevitability type thing but i mean so far it sure seems that way but bitcoin is always a trojan horse uh and it's it's brilliant it excites me so much thomas in terms of the the trojan horse thought and me when you think of the inevitability of bitcoin that you've mentioned many times already uh, on on this this podcast um is there anything that worries you about some of that i mean you're you're an educator a content creator putting out things that you're hoping that Bitcoin adoption grows and things like that. Um, is there anything that you're worried about in terms of this inevitability course of Bitcoin or things that could stand in its way or s- slow it down a bit in terms of adoption? Well, most of the things that we thought would happen have happened. So things like the Silk yeah. Road getting shut down, uh, Binance getting shut down, CZ being kicked out. Uh, the market's been cleaning itself up a lot lately, getting ready for mm. Bitcoin to go mainstream. So I think in that way, we've fended off a lot of opponents. Like Daniel said, the block size war, uh, these companies came in, said they wanted to double the size of the Bitcoin blocks. It turns out that you can't just do that from the top. You can't just legislate that because you're important big companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. those have been tough times for Bitcoin. Obviously, China banning Bitcoin, China unbanning Bitcoin. Uh, this is the kind of thing that's always on our radar. It's always going to happen. Uh, things like FTX are, are a surprise. No one I knew even invested in that thing. Uh, for it, so for it to get so big and then to blow up so badly, um, that was a surprise. But it's the usual things that you can see out there. It used to be in the first couple of years, you could worry about maybe the United States or China 
building enough machines to take over Bitcoin and 51%ing it and really, you know, getting into it. But now the hash rate's so large, the amount of money necessary to buy all the coins is so vast, not that many things can damage Bitcoin. Uh, but I do think, like you said, we're going to go through a dark period where a lot of early people and especially libertarians who have believed in Bitcoin so long start to not recognize it. And mm -hmm. we were talking about this on my show, how um, if your favorite band goes mainstream, you know, it's the mm -hmm. same songs, it's the same band, but you don't like them as much because a million, 10 million other people like them now. And yeah. I think for Bitcoin, all the finance people kind of bending over backwards, discovering things that we learned a decade ago, um, they're excited about it now as if they've just learned it yesterday. Uh, so a lot of people come into Bitcoin and have like an ownership on it. They're like, this is my thing now. And I think the finance people very much think it's their thing now. Yeah, that that's interesting. That's such a good analogy. It's an obvious one that I guess I hadn't thought of, but that's absolutely the case. Um, for me as a progressive, um, and, and again, all of these labels and things, we all have our different views and identities and, and values, but as a progressive in the sense of like, okay, hearing someone like Larry Fink, not a, not a crazy fan of Larry Fink, not a crazy fan of BlackRock. And I think most Bitcoiners are probably in that camp. We're not really reliant or crazy fans of these banks, but Larry Fink praising Bitcoin. That for me was like, I don't like seeing that. But then I'm like, ah, Trey, maybe you just set your ego aside and just Bitcoin's going. Like Bitcoin is taking off. Like people are going to, to cling to this. And I, but I always knew that. Like in the back of my head, I always thought and knew, okay, these people motivated by greed are also going to utilize Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin and, and all of these things and, and market it and create these products. So yeah, it's, it's these type of things that are hard for me to swallow sometimes. So I totally get that, that band analogy. And, and I think another thing too, to talk to our kind of progressive audience, I think progressives and folks, I think, on the left understand this. But when I talk to other Bitcoiners or folks from the right or more libertarian U.S. bent, I think they really fail to understand that a lot of progressives, especially those in Bitcoin, they've arrived at Bitcoin because we feel politically homeless a lot. We feel very detached and we see all of these problems. And for me, a huge motivator of coming into Bitcoin and arriving was just saying, okay, time and time again, these politicians are saying the same things. There, nothing is changing for folks with uh, low-income folks in this country, for marginalized communities. So many things. There's got to be different ways to address this. There's got to be a system upgrade. This system is not working. And Bitcoin is not going to fix everything. But we have to at least try with certain things. And I was hearing politicians saying the same thing that, like, I'm not that old. Like, I'm a millennial can't imagine for folks that are older hearing the same things decade after decade now from, in this case, like the Democratic Party or mainstream left politicians. They're not even aware <laughs> that these things are being repeated. And the some that are, okay, we can say they're evil, right? But there's many that are just ignorant in, in my mind. Uh, so for me, arriving to Bitcoin was like, gosh, nothing else has been working. Like for me, there's so many appealing things for progressives to say, let's try this. Just give it a try. Just let, let's try to go down this road. Trey, can I add something? Yeah. Just, you got me thinking a little bit. Um, Bitcoin has made me both less political and more political. And what I, I, totally I mean by that, that is that it has made me understand a lot more concepts around individual liberty and freedom mm -hmm. and privacy and self-determination. Um, which, uh, by the way, are not things that are that belong to a, any specific 
camp, any specific ideology, because these are human rights. These are things that everyone should champion. Um, we can read those words in our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution and other countries that have modeled themselves after the United States have taken similar approaches. Um, but these are like fundamental human rights, like the ability for you to, to be able to conduct your business and your life, not harming anyone else, being allowed to um, decide who you want to associate with. Like those are really important things. And, um, but it's also made, so it's made me more political in that sense that I, I feel much more strongly about certain issues that really pertain to, um, to human rights. But it's also made me feel less political in terms of, I don't, I'm not swayed by the arguments anymore. Like mm -hmm. if I hear a political ad or I hear someone speaking in any party, I just have to take a, a moment and, and think to myself, do they really mean that? Is that really what, what, what their, their position is? Or are they just saying it because they want to appeal to a certain segment of the population or because it was written that way for them? And so I, I no longer feel as motivated to be part of the process because I feel like they're not speaking to me and they're not listening to me and not listening to people that I listen to and the people that I trust. And so for those reasons, like it's made me take a step back. And so for those who've known me over the years, I've, I've had a lot, a lot of things to say on the, the political side on social media. And over the past year, I've said very little because to me now it, it just, it means so much less uh, in the context of Bitcoin and what I think the, the opportunity and, and, the um, the possibility of being able to build a world that's more fair um, for everyone um, without necessarily having to have um, uh, people in power make those sorts of decisions that can really harm your, your life and, and uh, restrict you from doing things that um, are not wrong. They're, they could just be, you know, declared wrong because the government decides that that's something they don't want to to allow. So in the, in that sense, like I, I feel, you know, somewhat ambivalent about politics, even though I'm, I feel very strongly about specific values and, and things that, that matter to me. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the BitBox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank BitBox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah, I think you're speaking for the majority of people. Uh, so many of my friends, something will be mentioned and it'll it'll just be, uh, I just, I can't, I just can't think about it here. Like I think people are so turned off in so many ways. We've been saying this for a while, but over and over. And I, my, my feeling, and everyone would have their own individual story with this. My feeling is that it, it's because people are seeing nothing change, right. In, in so many different ways, or in my opinion, the U S government is getting more, a little bit more crafty about things they're up to, whether it's inflation targets or whether things aren't actually going up that much or things have come down, but they won't say it's never going back down to where it was or the way we're funding wars. There's a lot more sneaky ways they're actually using these instruments rather than congressional approval. And so many, so many different topics of just the same old stuff. So people are detaching from a political process. 
they're focusing maybe a bit more in an ideal world in their local community or family and things like this. And again, even as I'm saying this, I, my brain is going into what is a left position? What is a right? Like that is so unhealthy. That is so uh, crazy to think of. But people say focus on your family and local government. Sometimes that can be considered a right-wing concept. It just drives me nuts um, from different people. But people are removing, they're detached. That's not a good thing. So back to your point, I do feel a bit more of like, to engage in the political process, there's a lot of groups in Bitcoin and some other causes I think about that I think are really smart with how they engage with the politics by basically saying, hey, you guys aren't doing this right. This will help you. Your system is so broken. We're going to go ahead and do this. I like engaging with those types of, of people. Um, with Thomas, o- over to you in terms of politics and political leanings and things like that. Um, do you feel similarly or do you have any difference in terms of what Daniel's saying in terms of being still invested in politics? You mentioned, uh, you know, our favorite president, Donald Trump, uh, things like that. You know, how was that? You've obviously been in Bitcoin for quite a while. And before Donald Trump was a serious candidate and president, how do you view those things, um, in light of, of Bitcoin and all these other things? Well, I do think like, uh, Daniel was alluding to that our politics has changed over the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, in the 50s or 60s, America had a positive view of the future. We were going to go mm-hmm. to space. We were going to have flying cars, all that kind of futurism, 2001, a space odyssey, stuff like that. Uh, that's where we're going. And unfortunately, I think we lost that. I think the new politicians are mainly selling us fear, uh, fear of the economy, fear of terrorism, uh, fear of uh, immigrants, fear of other people, changes, society changing, all those kind of things. And I think Bitcoin returns to this positive view of the future. And again, I'm a techno futurist here or whatever. So I'm going to take that, you know, on the chin, my friend's going to attack me for not being realistic. But as far as things that could save us and, you know, large scale global warming, uh, people disagreeing, people fighting with each other, I still think technology is the thing that can save us. And I think technology keeps getting better. As we went through MP3s, we freed the music. MP4, we freed the videos. Now we're freeing the financial system. So to me, it's just part of the same story of of every few years, I find some new technology. And obviously, I didn't make any money off MP3s, no money off music or videos. I just enjoy the music and videos when they come. But with Bitcoin, you do have a chance to make money off it. And one of the big things I think for progressives, and especially if you go to kind of an environmentalist society where, you know, we want to conserve, not consume. Well, you're right up in Bitcoin there because Bitcoin teaches you to conserve because Bitcoin mm-hmm. keeps going up in value. I mean, uh, I bought you know $10 for dinner 10 years ago. It's worth $1,000 now. Like I should have ate at home, right? I should have saved money, not go to Starbucks, which is very much, we're talking progressive environmentalist lines, like doing less stuff, saving more money. That's Bitcoin. And it changes us not from left to right, maybe to capitalist socialist where we come into these new problems, things like universal basic income. What are we going to do with all these people when the robots and the AI have all the jobs? Mm-hmm. And these kind of things to which I think even if a techno-futurist, you have to look at the future and try to think of a better solution uh, rather than this look at the future, say it's negative, get very insular, uh, do this whole 1920s isolationism thing again, uh, which is hilarious having it time up almost to 100 years uh, exactly since the last time we did this. Uh, but yeah, it was wrong then, it's wrong now, and it'll be proven wrong. And it's just unfortunate we have to go through this again. Uh, but obviously the cult leader is very popular. He has his 30% strongly locked on. 
and uh, they're going to try to wreck this system for the rest of us. And it's people who have no idea what a dictator is. They have no idea what these systems are. I've read about these mm -hmm. systems. I've read about Stalin and all these other things. And you don't want it here. And not even as a joke, not even for like to, to you know, soak the libs or whatever it is to get them. You know, uh, you don't want it. Yet the, the political discussion, and a lot of this is uh, from the lack of civics classes. We don't study how to be a good citizen in school anymore. We don't value that as a thing. I heard Stephen A. Smith talking on Howard Stern and it was a wonderful discussion. And he said, yeah, sure, I could be president, but I won't do it because I make so much more money at ESPN. And I was like, there's no kind of civil you know, code where Howard was talking about the old days. He was like, yeah, you, know, you don't want to stick up for society and make things better for your neighbors and that kind of thing. And that's all gone. And a lot of that is by design. You get rid of these civics classes. You don't teach people that we're interconnected. You put in some of the Ayn Rand individualist philosophy, uh, the individual philosophy of the West, the cowboy, and all of that. And, and you get a fractured society that doesn't work together when really the whole union, the union, the United States, all of these ideas were us working together. That's when we accomplish great things. Yeah. Gosh, Thomas, I, God, we gotta, we gotta talk more. That was brilliant. Um, I think you're a really smart guy with a lot of these political discussions. Of, of well, I do have a history sure. degree, you know, so yeah, exactly. it's the most, one of the most worthless degrees that you can get. Um, they always told me, but I always said, if I know the past, I'll know the future. And a lot of times you can see these echoes coming along and you're like, yeah, that's a familiar thing that happened a hundred years ago. And everyone's like, what do you mean a hundred years ago? That's not familiar. And I'm like, well, it is compared to a thousand years ago or 5,000 years ago or wherever you want to go with the history. It's a lot more recent. So, yeah. I'm curious, we'll, we'll, we're getting a little bit to a close here, but I, I'm curious, some of my thoughts on, because so much of this show too focuses on obviously just presenting good Bitcoin stories about the great things that it's doing throughout the world, touching a little bit on like how it works, some of the tools for people to understand as well. Although I think there's other shows and YouTube channels and things that literally show people that and would, and you know, we've been encouraging people to check those out. Um, but one of the things we do as well is fighting the FUD that is from the left. I mean, it's from all over uh, in, in general in so many different ways. It's not necessarily partisan throughout the world. But in the U.S., there is a lot of FUD from those typical progressive left values with the environment, with different, oh, this is right wing money for people that want to just sell drugs or fund terrorism. That's largely from the left. And one of the things that I felt I've noticed back to my point of I feel progressives are feeling more hopeless, more politically homeless. Um, I used to do a lot of work with, uh, I've been in nonprofits my whole career and do a lot of work with uh, youth and young adults. And obviously the mental health concerns over the past several years are, I'll say from my personal experience, but also data is very, very, very real. I think it's across the board, but especially with young people, there's hopelessness, there's despair. Uh, there's climate crisis talk that I personally believe in, but I think some of the ways we fan the flames of saying your world is gone in five years has created despair amongst young people, especially from the left that really care, like their heart is in the right place. But so many people are just in despair. So when something like Bitcoin is presented, someone who is in despair, who is in poor mental health for very good reasons, will cling to this fear mongering that's being presented in my mind. So I'm curious how you all think about that in terms of FUD in general from the left, like given that that place that we're at, not even on a specific topic, just several things. Um, so how, how do you think about FUD from the left with, with Bitcoin? And how do we go about addressing that as we continuously try to do better and better each week here at the uh, Progressive Bitcoiner? 
And Daniel, I'll, I'll kick that over to you first. Well, Thomas, a few minutes ago, talked about AI. And, you know, for so many years, we were told AI is going to come take your jobs. It's, it's coming to take your, your jobs away. And now it's actually happening, right? Like I read an article last week that a lot of tech companies are, are laying off lots of people. And uh, they're claiming AI is being used to, to fill a lot of those positions now because they can do things more efficiently and without payroll and without health insurance and all those things that humans need when they're working. So, you know, we're at a point now where AI is actually a serious threat to our livelihoods and um, it's going to cause a lot more despair. Um, it gets worse before it gets better, I think. Um, and I hope it gets better. But I think, you know, Bitcoin can serve as a lifeline to people who are going through a difficult career pivot or any other um, upheaval in their lives. But this is why education is so important. It's why we really need to make sure people understand what it's all about. Trey, you and I spent um, some time on Blue Sky recently. <laughs> I gave up on it. I don't know if you're still on it. But well, it's definitely like even in the past several weeks, I'm like, is anyone here? Like it's yeah, it, it, it feels like it's dying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, the, yeah. but the time that we spent there, like I noticed, you know, there were these two different paths you could take. Well, more than two, but there were two different paths that weren't Twitter. If you wanted, you know, social networking um, and you could go for it for sort of this quasi, you know, somewhat decentralized uh, options, which were mm -hmm. Blue Sky and Mastodon and you had Noster which is um, completely decentralized and has, has no company running it. Um, but I noticed on Blue Sky, which, which you know, was, was sort of touted as, as the, you know, the replacement for, for Twitter for a lot of the people from the left, um, and you had, had quite a big migration over there in, in the beginning, no one there wants to talk about Bitcoin. No one there wants to talk about um, things that, that we've spent time learning. And so when we even try to respond to someone who's, who's clearly misinformed they immediately get upset they fight back they block you they don't want to hear anything you have to say and so if you want to talk about anything from whether it's a social aspect or the environmental aspect or anything else their first reaction is often well bitcoin shouldn't exist it should just be banned and that you know of course we know that can't happen um and so you know where do you even begin with a with an argument like that how do you respond to that when someone is so immediately reactive to something you say when you spent time understanding what bitcoin is and what it offers and you know what i often say to people who are who come from that perspective when i do have an opportunity to speak to them usually in person not so much online because online yeah. tends to be a lot more toxic and more difficult to yeah. to get ideas across is you know once you understand what bitcoin is where it came from and how it operates you know it's not going away you know that it's going to exist for the rest of our lives, and it's part of our, our the fabric of our not just our financial world, but of our human society. It's a thing that exists on the planet Earth, and it will stay here and continue to grow uh, indefinitely. And so what do we do with that information? We have to make it work for everyone, because it, it will be here and it will be working for someone. And if you are not into Bitcoin because you don't like some of the ideology of the people that are in it, then you should bring your own values into it. Mm -hmm. And you should promote the things that Bitcoin can do for someone like you. And so the fact that, you know, you might feel strongly about an environmental aspect and you think that Bitcoin uses too much energy. 
well, go work on projects and go find people who are working on those things that are attempting to, to create more energy efficient methods of generating Bitcoin. And then you'll start to learn that, oh, Bitcoin actually has environmental benefits because it helps to bootstrap uh, renewable energy projects. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, then you take the next step. And it also can provide financial lifelines for people who live outside the banking system, who've been abused by their governments, who've been who've been sidelined and marginalized. And so the more you understand it, I mean, that's the thing is you have to have the willingness to go down that rabbit hole and to be open to those ideas. And if you start with a closed mind and you don't want to hear what other people have to say because you feel that it's against all of the things that you believe in, then you will never come to that understanding that a lot of us have come to. And so for someone like me who like came up from the, you know, the Bernie camp, you know, I was, I was, you know, following him around for quite a bit of time during, you know, after Occupy Wall Street and a lot of the politicians who were very vehemently against the banks and claimed to be for the people. And then to see a lot of those politicians abandon the things that they uh, originally talked about and are now siding with the banks and doing things that are, I think are harming people it makes you realize that there is no single political environment that everyone can, can, uh, can operate in. And the same thing can be said for on, for the, on the right wing, you know, at the end of the Trump administration, the first one, and hopefully the last one, um, we saw his own secretary of the treasury try to push through a bill, a policy at the treasury that would have made it very difficult for people to use Bitcoin in self-custody. Yeah, and so I don't think, yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's basically the, 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 the basis of what now we're seeing with Elizabeth Warren, um, mm-hmm. where, and she's someone that I, I supported quite a bit back in those days. Uh, I have a lot of respect for her and I wish that she would be open to a conversation about these topics and not just listen to the same old people that she always talks to, because it, there are so many things that are wrong with those specific points about mm-hmm. how Bitcoin is used, who uses it, how it's generated, uh, what it's what it's used for, that everyone seems to be missing. And so when that information is disseminated by someone in a, in a position of political power, people believe it and it becomes common knowledge, even if it's not true. And so it doesn't matter what side of an aisle you're on, if you're left or right or somewhere in the middle, it's who you're listening to and, and the information you're getting. And so, you know, I don't have as big of a microphone or megaphone as some of these politicians do, but I do have the ability to talk to people one-to-one. And that's what I do every day. That's why I run meetups. That's why I work in a, in a specifically in a Bitcoin company that gives me the opportunity to speak to people one-to-one to help them understand the things that I've learned over the years. Because I think that's, that's the way that you, you can, can push adoption. It's the way that you can get people to understand these things and how they work and how, how not scary these ideas are. Even if it starts out that way in the beginning, you realize, oh, this is something I actually can do. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, the, the idea that Bitcoin is something that you have to really go on a journey to understand. And hopefully, like Thomas was saying earlier, the, the, the user experience, the, the ability to operate in a, a Bitcoin world will be, become easier because the tools will be built that don't currently exist. Just like the, yeah. the tools that we are using to create this podcast didn't exist when I started on the internet. And so, you know, we have a long road ahead of us, but I think it's a good one and that's why I'm optimistic. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thomas, how do we fight and address FUD from the left and encourage folks, as Daniel said, that Bitcoin is here. You know, we can unpack the inevitability, but Bitcoin is inevitable in so many ways. It, it is a good thing for everyone in different ways. How, how, do you, how do you think about communicating that? Well, I, I agree with Daniel to start. I think Elizabeth Warren should be with us. She was with us in Occupy Wall Street. I enjoyed her very much when she was the head of the uh, consumer division, something like that under Obama. Then she became a senator and I've always been impressed with her. Uh, until recently. Uh, she's mm -hmm. saying some crazy things about Bitcoin, a lot of them quoting from a single source, that Wall Street Journal journal article that said Bitcoin was for terrorists. And remember, the Wall Street Journal was also purchased by Fox News. So that's the Fox Street Journal, uh, yeah. not what it was 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, so I, I don't know how we debate these people. Uh, I Listening to Daniel and, and him trying to go point to point with these people, I was reminded how they taught me debate in high school and how I understood debate as an evidence-based debate, and I would bring up evidence, and they would have no evidence, and then they would just continue to believe what they believed. Uh, so I've always, it's very difficult to convince people of anything uh, that they don't believe. You have to really just kind of live an example and like show them, like all my friends who wouldn't buy Bitcoin, now they're like, well, Tom, why aren't you working? Why aren't you stressed out? All these things. Oh, because I bought Bitcoin. You know, I looked at, I took a risk, I looked at the information I had, I got as much information as I could, and I made the best decision I could. Uh, so everyone on the internet is going to have to make that decision about when they get into Bitcoin. And if it's you know now at like 30, 40,000, 50,000, 500,000, a million, 10 million, 100 million, eventually you're going to have to get into Bitcoin because you're going to want to buy something and the pe person selling it's only going to take Bitcoin. Uh, so I think that'll work itself out. Uh, let's see, I also have... Um, yeah, also, my family yelled at me when I tried to convince them of Bitcoin at 300. A lot of people are heavily invested in the current system. They have real estate license or financial brokerage licenses, and they know more than you. You know, It doesn't matter your historical knowledge of the books you read or what you read on the internet or how much you've been around the internet. They know more. And uh, until it goes up 10,000% in 10 years or whatever, then they're thinking, maybe I should have listened to that crazy kid. Uh, but other than that, we just got to keep existing, keep not breaking, not going down. Like you said earlier, trade people checked in on Bitcoin. They're like, I thought that thing was dead. I stopped mm -hmm. looking at it. How could have it gone from a thousand to 50,000 when we all know it's dead? And then the, uh, the last note I had is everyone just needs to read more Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Uh, I love his first book, Player Piano. He was working at General Electric. Uh, he was a you know, liberal arts type major in the surrounded by scientists and all these things. And he saw the future. He talked about basic income. And he basically came up with the idea that it's cheaper to pay people to stay home to watch, uh, you know, 3D television or feelies or VR or whatever it's going to be, uh, than to have them out wrecking the machines. Because yes, we can get machines that fix the machines, but it's just a waste of the time if you're going to be out wrecking them. And uh, the current crop, crop of people seems a lot like Idiocracy, which used to be mm -hmm. a comedy, but now is a documentary. And uh, they're going to come up against this. The environmental thing is going to come to them. The Bitcoin thing's going to come to them. And it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, inevitable things are going to happen to you. So uh, they'll just have to wait. And we just need to set a good example as Bitcoiners and be welcoming when they come in. We've always said uh, with the block size war, we'd welcome back Roger Veer. We'd welcome back any of those people. We also welcome all these new people. And it's okay if they've said bad things about Bitcoin for 10 years and maybe even written books and published topics about it. There's always a chance for them to look at it again and say, 
Uh, maybe that is a good thing. Maybe that is a positive, not having the government's control money printing, uh, not having an uncapped supply of money, having it be limited and scarce, focusing on savings and uh, not having disposable products, not having fast fashion and wrecking the world with our garbage, uh, but actually being more like, no, we need to save and conserve. And, you know, this, this book is good enough for now and I'll just get another book next week. That kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, this was a brilliant conversation that made me just want to, you know, hang out, go to, go to pub key and, and hang out and keep, keep talking offline. But I uh, really appreciate you both jumping on really appreciate you both for what you do in the space, Daniel, for the, for the pod and for things. I mean, you're like, a, I, I posted this on Noster, like a local legend on Noster and we'll keep growing and doing amazing things with, uh, with pub key. Uh, and, and Thomas, you're a legend in Bitcoin. I just imagine like a book where there's so many different personalities and it's little mini bios. And I'd like to see, mad bitcoins is one of those little bios with your with your goggles and the hat and everything that'd be really cool um but i really appreciate I, you i was hoping on. to make a vitalik's list the other day but i wasn't on there oh, i wasn't man. even uh not not a main character anymore not even listed yeah. uh, but it was well, fun to see old vitalik put that list out well, thomas at least you you have your own nft which happens to be the only nft i ever bought just because it had your face on it it's pretty good it's the first <laughs> portrait on the ethereum blockchain that's awesome. All right. Uh, where do both of you want to send people to if they want to check out more of what, you know, your your profile, what you're working on? Where do you want to send people to, Thomas? Sure. Check out worldcryptonetwork.com. We do the Bitcoin group every Friday and you can follow me on Twitter at MadBitcoins. Awesome. Daniel? Well, if you're in New York, you should come to PubKey. Um, it's Bitcoin's dive bar right in Greenwich Village. We're right off uh, West 4th Street on Washington Place. Um, it's a great place to meet people, to hang out, uh, go to a Bitcoin event, um, learn a lot. We, we're currently working with the Human Rights Foundation. Um, by the time this podcast airs, we'll probably have already had our second event, um, which is about CBDCs. Um, and I think it's a really important event. And uh, I would love to have people join us for future events. Um, we teach all sorts of things, working with different um, sponsors about uh, self-custody, about uh, ETFs about mining, about lightning. We had a great lightning meetup recently with Evan from Zeus, um, and a lot of other people showed up to that. Um, it's, it's a community space, and, and I think community spaces are really important for Bitcoin. It's where ideas can be formed and can be disseminated. It's much better than doing it on the internet when you actually meet real people face to face. Um, it, it's just such a difference. You get to understand and and um, you know, see different perspectives. And I'm meeting a lot of people that I've known over the past year just who've come in from uh, from those I've met on Noster. Um, a few months ago, I went down to Nashville. I was part of Nosterville, um, which was the first uh, Noster conference held at Bitcoin Park in Nashville. Um, just being able to connect with people in the real world and, and realize, yeah, these are just normal people, but they happen to also be really interested in Bitcoin. Um, because a lot of people, I think, feel very isolated and lonely. Um, they don't know who to talk to. Um, mm -hmm. Their family doesn't want to listen to them. Their friends don't want to listen to them. So yeah, you want to go to a place where where people uh, actually understand the things you talk about. Um, so PubKey is, um, you know, it's it's. I've only been working here for about a month, um, but it already feels like home. Uh, so yeah, I would encourage everyone to uh, come visit. We're on the web at pubkey.bar. And then if you're on Noster, come find me. Um, have a conversation. Uh, if you haven't tried Noster and you're still uh, existing on old dinosaur social networks like Twitter, 
um, give it a try. I, I've been trying to get Thomas to spend a little more time on it. Hopefully he'll, he'll, he'll begin to post more. Uh, it takes a little effort yeah, to man. get up and running, but um, you know, we're there because we don't want to be censored and we don't like the way that things have been going on, on uh, centralized social media. Um, I think it's, it's taking society to a bad place. And this is an opportunity to reinvent things in a better world um, of decentralization and freedom. And so uh, I would encourage more people to begin to explore what Noster has to offer. Uh, so look for me. I'm the Daniel. You can find me on there pretty much anywhere. Awesome. And in, in the show notes, if people are kind of trying to keep track, we'll have all this in the show notes. Um, thank you both so much. Um, and thank you, Thomas, too. I'll give you a shout for having us on your show the other day. That was super fun uh, being being on your show. So appreciate that. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.